Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. We're continuing with the stories of those that have been involved in the podcast, those that uh, come to the, or that, uh, our members in the Dow Facebook group, or just those that have contacted me over the years or have discussed the Dow with me. We want to, uh, talk and get the stories of those involved in how studying the Dow Te Ching and exploring this Eastern, uh, the principles of the Eastern path of Dow philosophy, not Taoist religion, but Taoist philosophy, has uh, helped to expand or uh, make them better aware of uh, their higher power and how that works for them. Uh, any announcements you'd need, just go to buddyc.org. A lot of things there for you. Uh, check that out. Uh, there's a daily Tao devotion. There's Lots of recovery resources, lots of things there. So check that out. Lots of online meetings, and meeting uh, apps and some and meditation apps and all kinds of things. Today, I have Craig M. with me from Danny, Scotland. Is it Danny or Denny? What do I say? How is it, Craig? Tell me. Denny, D-E-N-N-Y, like the Dino. Denny, okay, it's Denny, Scotland. Okay, thank Denny. you, Denny. Yeah, Denny. That's what I said. <laughs> and it's, it's Craig, not Craig. We tell oh, me for no, no. the last five years. Okay, hold on. Let's, let's try again. Today I have Craig from Denny, Scotland. Okay, good. Well, we have that done now. Okay, I'm sure we'll have a good conversation this morning. But it's a good thing I've got the mute in the. Uh, in button so <laughs> i've never hung up i've never gotten i've got, never got mad with you as a sponsor have I? i've never done that i had a sponsor i hung up on one time i got pissed off at and just hung the phone no no you you've you've hung up on me once because oh, I, I did didn't, yeah but, but no sorry you've hung up on me twice actually the first one was for doing something that for not doing something you asked me to do and you said well really? just go get on with it yeah you just, just get on with it and you just hung up on me I thought I don't remember that. Oh well, I think it was when we first started working the steps. Now I was I was just trying to push the boundaries just to see how long it would take you to drop me. And you haven't you still haven't taken that 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 message yet. So, Um, and then the second time was you were trying to text me to start hosting the meeting, and I was texting you back, but you didn't have your data switched on, so I didn't get the message. And you came into the meeting, and you're a bit of a you're a bit you're a bit of a foul mood, and you hung up and. Yeah, I've, yeah, I do remember that one. <laughs> now that you mentioned it, <laughs> I think I may have to look this out of the uh, podcast. I don't know if I want this going out. Uh, Let's we, we, we all have a we all have a folks. Don't worry about it. Oh, we do, we do. That's like I my, I, yeah. I, I forgave you both times, and the I, I think the third time you threatened to do it was um, was uh, I think you're you're trying to encourage me to go to meetings. Um, and he says to me, don't turn up if you haven't been in a meeting because, you know, I'll just hang up on you. So I had to go to a meeting just so you didn't hang up on me. I'm not. Am I that bad? Well, my second wife said that I've lost about 90 percent of my anger during our marriage. 
And then I thought, well, but I still have 10% because we are divorced now. So <laughs> there is that 10% of my anger left. What's wrong? No, sorry, you, you, you froze. <laughs> I thought you'd fell out with me again. No, I didn't hang up on you. <laughs> All right, let's get going here. Craig, tell us your story. We want to know what it was like and what happened and what it's like now. Just a, a qualifying story more than anything. Um, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got here. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm 43 years old, and I know I don't look it, but I am. I'm 43. Sorry, that's a lie. I'm actually 45 this year. <laughs> I'm also in denial about my age as well as being an alcoholic. I'm just, <laughs> my daughter, for the longest time, didn't actually know how long how old I was because every time she asked, I was like, I'm 21. So she's like, how old are you, actually? It wasn't until she was old enough to work it back for her date of birth and then my date of birth that she realized that I was older than, than what it says. Um, but Drinking was very prevalent in in my background growing up. Um, I grew up in the military, and everywhere we went, it was just that was how people relaxed. And um, when we were babysitting for some of the kids, when we got older, that's how we got paid. We, we were living in Cyprus, and we got paid ten 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 separate dollars and two liters of beer for babysitting these people kids at age age fourteen. So that's that's how we were. That's how we were indoctrinated into. Um, and what alcohol does for you and you know just this is how we relax and this is how we chill out and this is how we reward ourselves so um later on I, I learned to reward myself excessively every single night um and it just got to the stage where um we were on a a, a holiday for my son it was his sixth birthday and, and and Callum shouted over to me in the middle of this packed swimming pool in Mexico dad if you come over here and play with me I'll buy you a beer um, and it was just at that point that we realized that Callum, at the age of six, realized that, his, that my relationship with alcohol was more important than uh, it was with him. But Louise has known for a long time that I've struggled. We've, we've both struggled. We've had conversations in the past. And any married man knows that when we say we've had conversations in the past, it really means that my wife was telling me that I had, you know, that there was, there was potentially issues there. There was warning signs, like going from red wine to to beer, to whiskey, all in the same night, uh, just in the just in the name of having a good time or, or celebrating something like Christmas or a birthday. You know, I don't know the, the birthday parties where, where you guys are from, but you know, generally we don't take beer to three-year-old kids' birthday parties, and that's what I was doing here. It was just an, everything was just an excuse for for drinking. My mental state got pretty bad. I was. Um, I was physically making myself ill. I was physically um, starting to suffer. I had a suspected heart issue that, that saw me in the in one of the hospitals when Louise was, um, I think she was about seven and a half months pregnant. And at that point, I was starting to get genuine with my, my, my drinking issues. I've been to the doctors a couple of times with stuff. And every time I went, he gave me this leaflets for AA. And I'm like, what's that all about? That's, that's not going to help me. So every time I'd go out, I'd, put the leaflet back on the table as I was coming back in. And I'm sure he'd go to the back of me and pick up that leaflet and put it back in my file for the next time I came to see him because every time I went, he'd always give me the same leaflet. By the time I ended up in the hospital, I, I, I was genuine with the guys. I, I was broken. I, I just didn't know what else was going to go on. My mental state, I didn't want to be here. And it's difficult to, it's, it's difficult still thinking about that because I, I couldn't talk to my wife about what was going on. I really didn't think there was anybody out there that was going through the exact same as what I was going through. 
uh, and I didn't know how to handle situations. The role that I have at work and in the businesses that I'd, uh, the business that I'd created was that I was the leader for that. And you, you come into this pre, the presupposition that you have to have all the answers and you have no weaknesses and you know everything. And that was difficult for me actually surrendering to the fact that I did actually have a problem and that I needed, I needed help. When I was, uh, when I left the hospital after my suspected heart issue, um, the doctor had said to me, he says, look, next time you, next time you hear, it won't be me you're talking to. There's a good chance it'll be the mortician that, that's going to be the only way. Because if you keep going the way that you're going, then, you know, that there is, there is only one way. And our big book talks about prisons, institutions, and death. I think I very narrowly escaped the, the death that time. I was, I was really drinking to excess. When I was in America visiting, I bought a case of beer and it was the small dumpy bottles, uh, like small dumpy cans. It was like 330 millimeter, 330 mils. I don't know what that is in the US terms. It's probably like two cups or whatever. But over here, we get 450 milliliter cans. So it's just under half a liter of cans. We always said beer was what we drank when we got thirsty. And and when we were on the way to the liquor store, we'd buy beer. Because usually we had to travel to get liquor. We could get beer around the corner in the south. Yeah, it's, it's in those size of cans, though, isn't it? Yeah, beer? Yeah, mostly, yes. Yeah, yeah. well, we, we we have the ones that's in. That, that's, so that's 330. Well, we had ones that are in just under half a litre. I would find myself going through between 12 to 15 of those a night. Really? Um, yeah. How much did you yeah. weigh? At the, were you fat at the time? Listen, I'm a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. Most people that puts a lot of yep. weight so on. So anytime I was working out, I was coming back and rewarding myself for my hard day's work with up to 15 of those. But I actually got to the stage where I was, I was drinking more than I was, um, than I was eating. So I was keeping the weight off by not eating, but I was surviving on empty calories to an extent. Um, but you know, it can only last for so long before um, before everything catches up. Yeah. So when I came out of the hospital, um, I decided that I had a plan of action that I was I was going to stop. That was it. But then my wife decided to have a baby nine weeks later, and then that started a six a six year relapse because I, I fell into the mindset that I can't be an alcoholic. I can't have all the problems that the doctor says I have, and I can't be feeling the way that I'm feeling because now I feel better. I've managed to control this for nine weeks, so I can't have that many problems. Um, so then the six-year relapse ensued, uh, and it got up to that stage where um, just just I became a daily drinker again. Everything was spiraling out of control. So on top of the beer, there was whiskey in that bottle. Was whiskey coming home, and I was the luckiest person in the world because I'd go to these, I'd go to the Masonic meetings, and I would win two bottles of whiskey in the raffle. How lucky am I? You know. Lee's obviously doesn't know that I would be buying two bottles on the way back up, sticking them on a briefcase and coming and say, look, that one, you know, how lucky is that? Um, so, so that got, started getting thrown into the mix as well. It just got to, the, it got to this, when you look back on things and you, and you start working the steps, that's when you see the unmanageability was starting to creep in, but I wasn't aware of it. I didn't know that that's what was happening. All I was doing was just going to the next level. Did you, uh, did you continue to have health issues during those six years? What happened during that time? It was it was more health. It was more mental health issues. The physical right. the physical health issues. You know, I, I think I, I think I gave myself a good a, a good recovery time. 
I was under a lot of pressure at work. I was I was going through different bits and bobs just with just with my, my, my daughter's situation as well. My um, uh, my daughter's twenty, I think she's twenty five now, and I had I was having issues off the coming off of a relationship with her mum that was really stressful, not just for, for for myself but for my daughter as well. It was difficult seeing your young daughter going through things that you know you you, know, you, you really try your hardest to, to help, but um, just just sometimes you're not in a position to do it. Uh, it was causing issues with my marriage, and so so you were you were metering your drinking all through those six years, trying to control it, and that helped with your health problems that you were having. Yeah, yeah, um, just, um, just, that's, that's just, tough, man. When you want to drink and you can't, and you're having to to pace it all the time. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a bad feeling. I remember that. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was there was still some times when the wheels came off. There was there was right, still time, there right. still times when I woke up in the kitchen floor thinking, you know, <laughs> how did I get here? You know, so so the majority of it was blackout. But you know, was was it really controlled? I think I just reached. I think I reached a limit where I knew right that's it because I was driving the next day as well. So I had to take that sort of thing into consideration. But I would always try and push the bounds. I would always try and just just get that extra little one in and. If I go, if, if I drink this really quick, I can go to bed ten minutes early, and I'll be, I'll be fine for for the next day. So when did the, so you knew something had to change. Callum was six years old. You'd realize he had already figured out how to control you with alcohol. Yep. At six, either so, he's really smart or you were really an alcoholic. I don't know which one was it. He's he's gifted. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, it's funny because when he shouted that over the swimming pool, because I was, yeah, I, I was rough that morning. I was rough, and in, in in Mexico, they have this ridiculous thing that you have the hotel, and then you have the swimming pool, like half a mile away from that. And in between the the, the hotel and the swimming pool, there's like thirty bars all along the beach. So you would obviously have to stop at each one to get a beer because it's rude not to. Um, and I was rough from the night before. And he was splashing water at me and just I swam in the middle of the You don't want to be rude. If you come and play with me, I'll buy you. No, absolutely not. I mean, it's, it's just not like me. Um, so, so just just at that point, I, I think it was I think it was really the first time that call it a god moment. It was almost as if time stands still. People were throwing beach balls and the balls were freezing in midair and. You know, it's always this voice came to me and said, "Look, you know, what's it going to take? I've given yeah. you, I've given you physical health issues. I've given you the issues where you, you you physically feel that you do not want to be here anymore. You're you're in the mindset of you, you're stuck in this rut, and now your son knows that your relation to alcohol is is more important than him. And my wife could see how much it broke me. It, it really that 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 was that was the that was a sucker punch. That was the that that was the one that finished it for me. Um, like I said, Louise and I have had conversations with it before, just like you know how it's affecting what's going on with our marriage and that. It was never, it, it never got to the stage where it would have ended our marriage. I don't think Louise is incredibly supportive, but just when I, I, I genuinely believe that when something like that starts to affect your relationship with somebody who you whose development you're supposed to influence, um. I kind of got, I kind of got the idea that I've got. I now have, I now have an opportunity. I can raise this. I can raise my son the way that my dad raised me, and that was in that environment of, um, of alcohol, 
you know, and don't get me wrong, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad upbringing. I loved it, but I know there's there's things that I, I really need to do different um, to give to give Callum the best the best chance. Um, I'm now six and a half years in, and we do everything together. Recovery is everything in my house. Um, my family love interacting with you. Callum loves talking to me. I, I came down. I came down to, from getting a book one day, and Callum's down here. I'm thinking, who's he talking to? He was sitting talking to you about his what was going on at school and what you've been up to, and you're like, "Oh boy, when are you getting a haircut?" You know, he come up and he's like, "Oh, he says I need to get a haircut." You know, Louise loves you as well, and just just everything that we do in the house is more or less centered around what we do here. Um, they know that they know what nights I have meetings. They know what meetings I've got on. They know who I'm meeting up with, and uh, if if we're ever going out. Alan will always read the menu and he'll say, right, you know, that's got that's got alcohol in the sauce. So maybe let's just stay clear of that. You know, what if you have this? And if we go on holiday, we're in the Fanta Club, he always orders all the drinks. It's not that he doesn't trust me. I think it's just that he, you know, it's, it's almost as if he wants to take responsibility and just do do something for me, uh, which you know, I, I really am grateful for the fact that I've not shied away from it and I've involved the family with everything I've done. We always talk about this being a family illness. I think it's a yeah. family recovery as well. Okay, so you had that moment where you said something's got to change. So what did you do? I said to Louise, when we get back from the holiday, I'm going to stop drinking for a year. So I set that time limit on it. So I, I also gave myself that buffer that we still had a, a few days left of the holiday so I could just unwind and just relax and just just try and take things in. But at the same time, I was still reading books on, on recovery. I was still listening to podcasts. So I had, I, I already knew I had this problem. I was looking for, almost as if I was looking for either a way out or a way to control things. So when did you start listening to podcasts and reading recovery books? During that six years you were doing that or? It was during, yeah, it was towards, it was towards the end of that six year. Huh. Huh. So, you, so what podcast so you might be, did you listen? What? You might be an alcoholic if you're, you're on, if, yeah, you might be an alcoholic if you're on an all inclusive holiday drinking beer and listening to recovery podcasts and reading recovery books, you know, just, <laughs> but I would download, I would download stuff to the Kindle so nobody could see what I was reading. You know, I had the big book and I was like, what are these guys talking about? You know, that, and then I was going to the next one. Okay. So what? What podcasts were you listening to? What were the first podcasts that caught your eye? The first one was Recovery Elevator. Yes. And that, is, that at the moment has a, a, a huge significance in what I do on a daily basis. Um, I started listening. I was, I was working away from home, so I was having to spend quite a bit of time driving. So I downloaded download the podcast and listened to Paul, learn about that. And what I liked about that was Paul was at the start of his journey then. And I could relate to a lot of what he was talking about, and that's when the that's when the penny dropped. That I'm not I'm not the only person that's doing this. I'm not alone with what I'm doing. He was talking about his anxiety, his fears, what he was doing, what he was having to change, and a lot of the message was we don't have to change a lot. We just have to change everything. You know, we we have to decide. You know, is this what we want or is that what we want? The, the, the very rarely is there anything in between. Yeah, but the thing is. Granted, we have to we end up changing everything, but all we have to be concerned about is what we're doing right now. We don't have yeah. to be concerned with all of what, how we're going to not drink at Christmas when the family's there. We just how we're not going to drink today or this yeah, moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, which is which is fine when you you're that little bit further on and you understand what's going on. You understand that one day at a time, that one moment at a time. But 
when, when you're just coming into this thing, is a, there is a massive fear of missing out. Yes. How am I going to do this? How am I going to manage? You know, what am I going to do tonight? Oh, how am I actually just going to make it through the night without a gap? I used to have a limit that I had to have a minimum amount to make sure that I slept all the way through. Otherwise, I'd be up pacing the floorboards at two, three in the morning. So, so it how was, did you do those first few days? What did you do the first few days to stay sober? I walked. I walked a lot. Um, I spoke to my wife. I, I, I talked to. I, I talked to. I talked to my wife about what was going on. I, I never talked to my wife about emotions. I never talked to my wife about my feelings. I talked to my wife about you know, what I'm going through. You know, a bad day I'm having. And then she would point out the fact. You know, it's not really a bad day. It's just a little bad five minutes you may be going through, and you, you maybe just want to take a little walk, get out, get some fresh air, um, and just just don't take your wallet with you. Just go for that little walk in nature that we enjoy. Download a couple of the podcasts that you're listening to uh, and just just get out of your own head because that's where most of the problems were occurring was when I was sitting thinking about stuff. Huh. Huh. Okay, so you were listening to podcasts. You were – what books were, did you – what books caught, you eye, caught your eye at first? You said you were – Yeah, there was actually one called Is There Anybody There? And it's the memoirs of a functional alcoholic. Hmm. I've never heard and of just that. The, just the tagline. It's, it's, it's written by a, a chap that's got a, a, a treble barreled name. Um, I'll be able to find the I'll be able to find the name of it um, at some point. I'll, I'll let you know. But cottoned onto the I cottoned onto the, the, the title because it mentioned a functional alcoholic, and I thought that's me. I'm an alcoholic, but I'm still functioning. And little did I know, just by the time we got to the end of the book, the end, end of the book is like, look, look, if we strip back all the nonsense, there is no such thing as a functional alcoholic. <laughs> you, you cannot be functional at a hundred percent capacity of what you should, really should be doing, focusing your attention on, and dealing with hangovers and looking for when the next drink's coming and everything else that's going on through trying to stop drink. Um, oh. And he actually ended up working a twelve-step program. And that's when I thought to myself, and he had the same sceptical views of what would be going on at meetings and, you know, what we would have to give up. And again, it just reaffirmed the fact that other people have been through this and you're not the only person. Okay. So you walked, but obviously that was not enough. You talked to your wife, which was good, but that was not enough. What Was that the last drink you had or did you drink more after that? How did you go from your walking? What happened next? After 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 the walking, so so when, when we came back to the UK, I stopped. I went cold turkey, um, uh, which I don't recommend. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm no doctor, but please seek medical attention if you decide that you want to stop drinking straight away. Um, I was detoxing for about six weeks, um, so so my um, my method of recovery was coming home, going out for a walk, coming back to the house, get some dinner start to feel a bit cranky, start to feel a bit shaky, go back out for another walk, come back. I pounded the pavements at Denny. <laughs> Most of the people thought I must have been casing the joint that was walking up and down the plane. You know, the police followed me because there he is again, <laughs> walking up the streets. But we've, we've actually got quite a, a quite a few decent nature trails up this part as well. So it was good to get away. And the, the good thing is there was no stores at that side. So, I, you know, I couldn't be tempted to buy anything. And Louise would always say, look, you know, it's up to you. She she, she would she would never tell me what I would have to do. She says, it's up to you. You can take your wallet or you can leave it here. But if you take your wallet, just don't pass a shop. Just make sure that you don't have any means that you can that you can buy anything. And at that time, I didn't have... She's a good woman. 
my, my wallet on my phone, so I couldn't, couldn't you know, contactlessly buy anything. Um, so I had that accountability with it as well. That when I was going out, yeah, she's so she really, so, you know, and as much as I, as much as. Yeah, as as much as I joke about her, she is absolutely fantastic. She really is one of the driving forces behind um behind my recovery. Okay, so how did you what were those next steps in recovery? How did that look to you? Well, the, the next step was I actually says to one of my, one of the guys I work with, you know, because he, he could tell there was something off and he says, What's up with you? And I said, Look, I've got a drink problem. And it's the usual with it's usual when you tell people like that. Says, oh, I don't think you do. I think you maybe just need to cut back, and you know, but, but people like that are really not seeing what's going on inside you. you know, they only see you on a daily basis at work. They don't they don't see the amounts that you consume, and they don't see the pain that you're going through yourself. And I think it's a dangerous thing as well as when we listen to other people's denial. We can almost maybe convince ourselves that maybe we're not as bad as we think we are. And for me, that would have been that would have, there was there was red signs there all, all over when I started listening to that sort of thing. But Jerry is an absolute diamond. He took me to my first AA meeting, and I said to him, "I was like, I'm not really, I'm not sure about this. I'm, it's not really something that I'm into." He's like, "Look, I have friends who have went through the exact same thing, and this has helped them." So he took me to he took me to a meeting. I still listened to podcasts. I went to that meeting and I was seeing so many differences that I missed all the similarities and what was going on. Um, but so the one thing, let's talk about that meeting. That was your first AA meeting, correct? Absolutely. Yep. You didn't leave that meeting with experience, with hope that it would work for you too, and encourage no. That wasn't you. You didn't leave that? Keep, All the people were telling me was keep coming back. They didn't give me that secret ingredient. They didn't give me that secret sauce that I was looking for. They didn't teach me that moderation as to how to really control your drink, because that's what I thought I was going for. Huh. Okay, so what was your, at that time, what did you think, that's what you thought AA was, was something to teach you how to moderate? No, no, just, you see on TV, you see. Oh, God, yes. I hate yeah, that. So, so, yeah. And so it's, it's funny. I was I was laughing because I was listening to Dennis talking away and he was talking about the, you know, the, the dingy meetings in the church, the smoke filled churches. And I said to myself, do you know what? That's not me. But I have this, I, I had this, uh, this misconception of what an actual alcoholic is because you, you think of the guy under the bridge, you know, drinking out of the bottles. And right. Right, so when I went to this first meeting, I was thinking, oh, yeah, do you know what? I just, it's not the kind of people I would mix with. It's not the kind of people I'd really want to spend my Friday night with because, you know, he's, he's just sitting talking about how, how happy, joyous and free you are. And here's me. <laughs> I'm sitting here suffering and you've got red hair and I don't. And, you know, you've, you've lost your job. And, you know, I'm I'm so much better than you because I've still got my job. I've still got my family. And so it's I've what we would call a, low, a lower end meeting. It would be a low end <laughs> Like a, or, maybe, okay. or maybe I was just a high class member. Maybe I just, you know, maybe, 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 maybe I, maybe I walked out of the meeting. And like, I hope he doesn't come back. That snob, you know. So I just, I, I, I was definitely, comparing. yeah. You were, you were seeing the differences instead of similarities, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Okay, okay. What was next? What happened after that? I joined, I joined a Facebook group because I thought, Do you know what. I, I could see how happy Joyce and free these people in the meeting were. So there must be this thing with community. There must be something going on with connection. And every time I was going back to the doctor, he gave me this fucking leaflet again. And he's like, look, have you tried that? Have you tried them? Because six weeks in, I was still withdrawn. I went, I thought I was going through the male menopause. I was shaking. I was sweating. He says, look, 
he said, you did, have you stopped drinking? I was like, yeah, I stopped about six weeks ago. Um, and that's when he told me the dangers of actually detoxing myself. He was talking about, you know, the delirium tremens, you know, the hallucinating. I got to the stage where I was actually talking to my wife downstairs. And when I went upstairs to bed, she's like, who are you talking to? You know, I was I was, I was, was sitting down here hallucinating. You know, that's how bad it was. And he was saying, he says, look, let's have a look at what you're doing. So I was, I was listening to his recovery podcast and he put me on to some psychotherapy podcasts as well. And, you know, stuff that wasn't holding me back in that recovery or I'm an alcoholic phase. You know, I was stuck in that. I was stuck in that cycle of this is how bad things are. I wasn't seeing the fact that, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it's the saying that the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield for a reason, right? It's because we go forward, we don't go back. We just look back, but we move That's forward. Right, yeah. Don't look back, you're not going that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to drive in reverse looking in the rearview mirror. You're not going to get very far. That's the That's wrong direction. Yeah. That's, you know? That's absolutely it. And that was a mindset that was stuck in. You know, I was stuck right. in, you know, I'm here and I'm I, I'm in this misery. What's what's going to happen if I leave this misery? You know, <laughs> not actually realize that it was like the, you know, people are saying there's light at the end of the tunnel. And all I could see was this dark tunnel in Darth Vader hitting his lightsaber. <laughs> that was the light at the end of the tunnel was Darth Vader. I was like, what? it's not going to get any better. So just listen to the podcast, listen to Paul Churchill's podcast. You know, he says, look, there's a community. Get involved with the community if you're struggling. I thought, Do you know what? I could really relate to this guy. I connect with him and just I joined the community. Um, and that was absolutely phenomenal. That was that really was changing experience or the fact that I could get together with these other people and communicate and start to get better. Getting that connection with people that are doing the same thing, going through the exact same things that I was going through, and that's when I started seeing the similarities in people. And you know, it just it doesn't matter where they were in the world. I was connecting with people my age, people with families, people that were going through the same, and they were in the same there was you know the, the same setup that I was going in. And I found that that was the make or break for myself was actually just connecting with these people. That's that's been a phenomenal journey with 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 that business uh, or, or with Recovery Elevator. It's it's got to the extent now where the, when I first joined it, there was there was one meeting a week, and that's when we joined. Every, the, the whole community got together. Um, now, I think six six years on, we've got twenty four meetings a week. So there's like two or three meetings a day. Uh, I'm actually I'm actually one of the community leaders for that that recovery community. Um, and it's really good being able to give back to the community that actually got me sober and helped me get uh, helped me stay sober as well. Guys, if you're new to sobriety, check out recovery. Even if you're not, check out not new, check out Recovery Elevator. There's a lot of resources there. Paul's a great guy. Sure, he shared his heart online when he was getting sober. And there's a lot of good resources there. If you're just dipping your toe into recovery. Uh, check out Recovery Elevator. Uh, that's good. Okay, so you're in Recovery Elevator. Things are moving along. Now we met in the SRC. How did you end up there? Yeah, I was. I was, I was just going to say. I was just going to tell you about that. The um, I still relate to a lot of the earlier interviews because I, I, I find they were a lot more genuine because that's what I was going through at the time. And around about episode fifty-seven, I think it was, there was this cantankerous old guy from down south, and he was talking about how much. So not not not. not uh-huh. Not very old, you know, just middle-aged guy at the time. <laughs> older, than me, me old. older than me. Don't call me old, I'll hang up on 
I, I got listening to this guy and he was talking about service work. And I was thinking, you know, how, how on earth does that help? And he was talking about, you know, if we want it, we have to, if we want to keep it, we have to give it away. And, you know, being, being of service is, you know, is, is the ultimate experience in helping myself. And I'm like, you know, how does that actually work? How, how can me being of service to other people help me? You then start talking about paradoxes and, you know, how this is going to work and it has a knock-on effect to that. And I thought, yeah, okay. So I listened to it a couple of times and I started getting my head around and, and just for the next little while, I was listening to other podcasts as well. And this, this, this guy kept on cropping up. I got an invite to a mastermind community through the SRC, which was the, which was Omar's podcast, which again was, it's a fantastic podcast, but that was good for myself because it was aiming at people at the stage where I was at at that moment. Um, so I got good insight for people that were at the two, three year mark and how we can move along from there. So and I got invited. Let's mention his podcast too before we forget that's Omar Pinto and that was the Share Recovery podcast. I think he's Share changed it now. But yep. I think he's got the old ones up where he did actual recovery podcasts and not yep. coaching podcasts. So check some of those out, guys. There's some good there's some good stories there. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. So I got um I got invited to the mastermind group and there was uh, I think the first meeting there was there was seven of us there and there was the there was the cantankerous bugger from from Georgia. Who was and I thought to myself, you know what, just <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about you. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's, and, and it, you know, I, I have to say that's that's where your life changed. You know, that's, that's, I, I don't know if it, I don't know if it changed for the better or if it just spiraled out of control because we, you know, at, at the first part I remember you, you know, you kind of tore me apart a little bit. You're like, you know, you, you know, you really should start to give more. You should be doing more for other people rather than being selfish and just doing for yourself. Now, come on. But I did ask you to do my do a Scotty imitation for me. I did. I remember that. Off of Star Trek. I said, Scotty for me. And you did a good one. Thank you. Captain, she can't take any more. She's going to explode. <laughs> First conversation I had with this guy that I thought was an idol. I thought, oh, here's, here's, here's that guy. That's, you know, and he was like, go do this guy from Star Trek impression. <laughs> so up to that point, Craig, had you gone to any meetings? Had you worked the steps at all? What had you, you had just done recovery online. You were what, three years sober, two and a half, three. Is that where you were at? Yeah, I've done a lot of it online. I've done a lot of it online. And when I joined the mastermind community, it was, I was 14 months sober. So between okay. those times, I, I could see the fact that, you know, Recovery Elevator had this one meeting, a, one meeting a week. And I thought, you know, if that's what one meeting a week does for me, what could another couple of meetings do for me? How could how would that be able to help me? So um, I would sneak into the to the meetings. I would, I would sneak into the back and I'd sit, the, sit in the last chair. So that meant I was the first one out. And you, so the minute the serenity prayer started kicking in, that was it. You'd see the doors just swinging shut, and it was <laughs> it was me making a making a quick exit. So I I, I started to benefit from it, and uh, I, I actually I I done all the steps on the wall, and I sponsored myself. <laughs> I think I'd done it. <laughs> I think I've done a pretty shit job of it, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it worked out as well as it was. But when I joined this mastermind community, I was at the stage of I was 14 months sober, but I wasn't doing anything for myself. I wasn't I wasn't feeling any improvements. I wasn't I, I, there was still this void. I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm needing something else. And that's when you started talking about doing the steps and you know getting involved in a couple of the bits and bobs and 
you still started highlighting this thing about service work, you know, and you have to give it to keep it. I still couldn't get my head around it. Um, and then there was almost a challenge out there to say, you know, you know, get somebody that has what you want. So I sent you a little text in the message. I said, you know, what, what's your routine? What is it you do on a daily basis? So he sent me links to stuff. And then we started texting backwards and forwards. And um, you know, that's when things really started to change for me because I realized the fact that, you know, I was starting to be a bit selfish with things. It was all about me rather than being about other people. Um, and I realized that it was then that I understood what being a dry drunk was. I just wasn't drinking. There was no growth. There was no there was no spiritual growth, no mental growth, no emotional growth. All I was doing was just not drinking and being miserable. So I was kind of at that stage where, you know, I can either just keep doing what I'm doing and be miserable or I can just go back to drinking and just be miserable, but I'd be happy in the process. Um, so I just, I, I think timing, I'm a great believer in synchronicity. I think everything fell in at the right moments for the right, for the right reasons. Um, I think being invited into that group and of all the people on all the people in the world that I've listened to um, in the recovery podcasts, you were there. And then we connected. I was, <laughs> I remember I was, I was getting dressed up one, one, one night and Louise was like, where are you going? So I was just, you know, find a guy that I might want to ask to be my sponsor. You know, so I'm all dressed up and she's like, you going out on a date or something like that? <laughs> so, like, so, so, so what do you think? What do you think about this? What do you think about this, this long distance long distance sponsorship thing and you're like I, I do it all the time just and, and, do you, know what? you came back with this sanctimonious thing where I said let me pray on it I'm like what do you mean let me pray on it what does that mean <laughs> I'm going to give up the opportunity to sponsor Craig you know maybe you know, <laughs> what is this that's that's what I thought I thought you know anybody else would you know just say yes at the drop of a hat no let me pray on it <laughs> okay so we started working the steps and we went through the step. We started meeting once a week. Granted, I've never met you in person yeah. yet. Uh, I'm w- hoping you come back to Mexico on vacation, and I will. I'll show up in Mexico. I'll come to Mexico. I won't go to New York City, but I'll come to Mexico. The thing about New York, okay? So I've I've worked with I've worked with people all over the world. I sponsor guys all over the world. I have an absolutely fantastic network of sponsors. I've met one of them so far because he came from Canada. He got engaged over here. He was in Edinburgh. He was staying. He was staying in Stirling. But we would pick him up at night time and bring him back to the house, and we'd play Mario Karts and just have an absolute blast of a time. There's a lot of guys from RE community that live in New York, so I texted a couple of them just to say, like, you know, we're coming. We're coming to New York over Valentine's. If you fancy grabbing a coffee and just, you know, no obligations. We don't need to do anything. We just sit down, grab a coffee, have a chat, and then we can go away. Um, and then somebody else found out that we were going, and then somebody else found out, and somebody else, and somebody else. So we had to try and say, like, let's just keep it to to that minimum amount. So there was actually 15 of us, um, sorry, 13 of us got together, including Louise and Callum, and they had an absolute blast. I got to meet um, Rob, who, who used to be on the, the podcast as well. And, oh, he's, and I've interviewed Rob. He, I think uh, his drop uh, is going to drop in a week or two, or sure. his, his will drop before yours. So yeah, I've got the chance to meet. Yeah, but um, it, it was good actually getting to meet people that you've been working with for four years, and you see them on this this square, you know, and that's that's really it. But just having that in person connection, just meeting up with them, shaking their hands, you know, just getting a hug off the guys was absolutely fantastic. So we, we had an absolute blast, and it wasn't as cold as you thought it would have been. So you could have came, 
Yeah, I guess I could have. Okay, yeah. let's move on. Um, yeah, yeah. Let, let's move on from the fact that yeah, other people made the effort. You, you know, I want to hear the rest of your story. Uh, <laughs> I want to know what happened, man. Okay, so we started working the steps. You got involved in community. You realized that it was true that the more you helped others, the the better you felt, the better your recovery was, and that. That really is true. And because when we give, we're really giving to ourselves because we're yeah, doing I think, us, we just don't realize it. I think I think the, the, the turning point for that is when you see the difference that you make to other people's lives or just just the conversations that you have and just being available for people, just being able to take that phone call from them, just sit back and tell them that, you know, the exact same things that I was going through, you know, you're not alone. You're not the only person, and this is this is how I've handled situations like that, and, and just working the steps with the guys as well. It really is such a game, and, and just when you start doing things like that, that's when you realise that that's that's how you keep it, you know, by being available and, and giving away what you have. Okay, let's shift to the Dow because we have about ten minutes left. You started coming to the meetings in the beginning when we were studying the Tao Te Ching in, in the SRC, actually. Why did that uh, studying the Tao Te Ching appeal to you, Craig? What what was appealing about this? I was around about step three, and I was struggling with turning your will and your life over a, a power greater than yourself or a good of your understanding. And that was a, a big sticky point for me. I was just like, mm, I just, uh, I'm not sure about this. And, you know, but so... um so there was another option. And I remember the conversation we had was, you know, you know, what, what kind of power greater than yourself do you want in your life? And we found it. You know, we found it through studying the dive. It's It was there all the time. I think the, 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 the revelation of it was I didn't have to put this God in a box. I didn't have to come up with an answer of what God was or what the power greater than myself was because it's it's all here in these 81 verses. Yeah, it's it's not that we have to denounce whatever religious heritage we have. This is like the, mm-hmm. the yeah. principles. They apply to everything. If, if your God is a God of love, uh, the Tao Te Ching, which is the path of the way of virtue, is the same. It's the same. And it's just describing yeah. that God of love in a different way, in, in a way that uses nature. Because when it was written 2,500 years ago, that's all they had. To use mm-hmm. this nature, you know, so uh, we can relate to all of those uh, examples. So, yeah, I, I think I, I think the good thing about this is that it, it relates more to the, the the spirituality of life rather than the religiosity of society. Yes, when when we grew up and when we grew up in the army, we would have to go to church services on Sunday, and you know, the way great God is, and this, that, and the other, and then, you know, we would ignore the fact that. And there was other things happening in the world that you'd think to yourself, you know, if you know, if that was, if it was all true as to how good you know, your, your idea of God is, and why is this all still happening? Um, and it's when you study things like this, you know, you realise that you know this is the way of things. You know, I don't want to sound like give a Mandalorian. This, this is the way. Yeah, give us some verses. What, what's some of your favorite? Right, so, so the, the first one is actually your favorite one. Just when, when I when I come and say, hey, buddy, buddy what, what do you think about this? And you say. Stop thinking and end all your problems. Yes. <laughs> if you go back and listen to some of the earlier podcasts, I kind of I kind of pick on Craig sometimes because he's fun to pick on. 
Uh, and he's easy to pick on because there's so much to pick at, you know. So <laughs> I use that one quite often. Yeah, that's a good that's, one. I think it's just because of the size of my ego. You know, you know I just, just stop. Just stop thinking. And, and what I like about that is, you know, it carries on to say, what's the difference between yes and no? What difference between success and failure? Must you value what other people value? You know, avoid what others avoid? It shows me that I don't have to conform to everybody else's idea of what I should be doing. Which that's, that's the twenty. Point. That's, that's the twenty. There's a, there's a Stephen Mitchell. The, the, okay. the Ron Hogan speaks to a lot more people because it says, "Look, don't spend so much time thinking about stupid shit. Why should you care if you agree or disagree with with, with people?" I'll put and a I link think- to the notes too, guys, of the online version of the Tao Te Ching that has all these different translations that you can use if you'd like. But that's verse twenty. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Okay, so so that, that that reminds me that, you know, I, I just, you know, what other people think is none of my business. What other people yes. are doing is none of my business. You know, yeah. I, I have I have chosen the path that I want to walk. Any people pleasing that I start to fall into, I see it as a trap. And I always go back to, I, I, I hope you sat down, but sometimes I go back to the Bible, right? And it talks about, I, I know, <laughs> sometimes it talks about when, um, when um, Jesus was in the wilderness and he fasted. Um, he fasted for 40 days and then he was tempted by, by the devil. That's how I see my addiction. Anytime something crops up, I see it as a test. I see it as a temptation of some sort. Um, if I'm going out for a night out with people, which I very rarely do, um, but on occasions I have to do it, you know, I, I'm aware of the fact that there's going to be alcohol there. So I have to make sure that I'm I'm ready for that test. I have to create that in-person accountability and say, right, guys, this is where I am. Everybody, everybody I interact with knows exactly what I do. Um, I, I couldn't go this long without um, without being honest with so many people. I've, and in all fairness, they know it because I've had to make amends to about 99% of them. So you know, they all know exactly where I am and what I'm doing. Um, and well, it also know, reminds Craig, me about con- the, the contempt prior to investigation. Yeah, you know, the great thing is, too, Craig, that in recovery, we take the opposite approach to god and all those things it beforehand we were told what we were to believe and then our actions were based on what we believed here we give everyone room to find the god of their misunderstanding everyone has their own god language is the way i think about it people who speak a different native tongue that's their their language and everybody has their own god language if you look at it like temptation and all these things that's fine. That's up to you. That's nothing. You don't have to look at it the same way I do. There's nothing there for me to correct because that's all yours, you know, and that's that's the great thing about recovery. No one's going to tell you what you must believe and what you must not believe. The, the big thing in recovery is that we learn to let go. We learn to surrender. We learn that we cannot do this on our own. We cannot do this within our own willpower. And we uh, we give people room to find that for themselves, and that's that's fantastic. I think the surrender to win definitely comes into that. Uh, it's just again, it's one of those paradoxes that you never understand until you're actually in that situation. Well, and the doubt that goes with that for me is: can we allow the mud to settle? Like you've got a, the water, and you can allow the mud to settle, so the right answer appears by itself. Yeah, that's really it. That's letting go for me. Yeah. Definitely. Um, what what yeah. what's some other verses that you have? Some other I ones. I know you. I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I made notes. 
<laughs> Six years in a cycle. So, so the next one is is uh, is, is the twenty first verse, which starts on the Ron Hogan. It says, "A master stays focused on Dow, nothing else, just Dow." So, what is Dow to you? What What is Dow? If, if somebody asked you, Craig, what What does that mean? What does that doubt, mean? So, this is the chosen path that I'm on. This This is This is my way of life. This is my way of doing things, and it's it's a, it's almost like working the steps. It's a set way of doing things, not not letting Craig take control again. You know, I am I'm, I'm not the wheel. I'm a spoke in the wheel. I'm a part of the cog. I'm not the whole cog. There's more. There's, there's more to life than just Craig. And there's forever, forever. I think it was Einstein, or you know, feel free to correct me. But you know, for every for every reaction, there's a there's a there's a, a, a reaction. I think that's that's been ingrained in me as well. And you know, there's consequences for what I do. And that twenty first verse, the, the first part of it reminds me that I, I need to be monomaniacally about what I'm doing. If I'm if you relate it to if you relate it to like a, a maths exam, if I'm doing a maths exam. I don't go and study geography or, or religious education. I have to be focused on that one thing. And for myself, if we, we do, we do a lot of word associations. So or, or we'll, we'll do word placements. So if you, if you change a couple of words in those, a master stays focused on the steps, nothing else, just the steps. And that's it. And through working, through working the steps, I know there's an answer to everything, you know, because it tells us in the big book, there's a solution and this is it. Yeah. So I think just, just going through that, just that, just that one snippet, just stay focused. And Robin Sharma, one of the guys that I follow quite a lot, he does a lot of motivational speakers, and he always reminds us that it's better to produce one masterpiece than five pieces of mediocre work. And that's because I need to be solely focused on what's right in front of me. Mm. Mm, that's good. Any others? I've got loads. Got loads. Uh, the 23rd verse, 23rd. When you have nothing to say, you may as well keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I remember you saying to me one time, "says like because you're you're encouraging me to get a, find a home group." And you said you reminded me, like, just if you think you've got something smart to say, just remember that you're sat in a room full of alcoholics, and yeah. you need to you need to up your you need to up your game and look for a better audience. You know. So if you've nothing, if you've nothing, <laughs> if you've nothing to say, just you better just keep your mouth shut. And I think it was a song that said, you know that. That's, it was Ronan Keaton over here. He was one of the Irish singers, and he was like, "You say it best when you see nothing at all." Yes, I don't have to get involved in absolutely every argument I'm invited to. Yeah. So you know, just just keep it simple and just know your place. Um, the twenty fourth reminds me to stay grounded. Keep your firm feetly planted, unless you want to fall on your face. Learn how to pace yourself if you want to get anywhere. Don't call attention to yourself if you want people to notice your work. And the last one was um, the 38th verse. I can't remember what it was. One of the verses that, that stuck out to me was um, was when you were talking about when I put the spotlight on myself, you keep everybody else in the shade. I think that one spoke to me quite a lot about service work as well. Don't blind others with your light. That's the one, yep. Yes. That's, that's why you turn up to the meetings with your sunglasses on. <laughs> <laughs> The master does not try to be powerful, thus he is truly powerful. The ordinary man keeps reaching for power, thus he is never enough. Where is that? That's the 38th. 38th, okay. It's a Stephen Mitchell one. Um, well, do you have any uh, favorite uh, 
Dow podcasts or what podcast do you listen to now? Are there any, are there any Dallas related? Are there any now at this point in your recovery, what are you listening to? This, well, I, I've, I'm at the stage now where six and a half years in the recovery podcasts are not doing it for me as they used to do. And I'll always relate it or liken it to Callum. Callum's not going to benefit from reading the same books at age 12 as he was at five. He's just not going to benefit from it. He needs to change and up his stuff to, to help grow and develop. Um, so so I've, I've cut right back on the recovery podcasts. Um, I used to, for a long time, listen to um, What's This Dow All About with, with Carl Totten, um, who'd done a fantastic um, review for your book, which was, a, a, you know, I, th- I think was absolutely yeah, fantastic. I was very grateful that. for that. That was, you know, that was just, when you sent that across, it just fell off my chair. I was like, really? Yeah. Has he read it? Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I was, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so the, the doubt of understanding, that, that was a big one because, you know, it just, uh, I think just having, you know, having people like Carl Totten talk about their experiences of the down, you know, breaking it down and what it really means to us as well. Um, that was, that was big for for a while. Now it's um, now it's more spiritual stuff. I, I like listening. To, I, I know you laugh at me when I say this. I like listening to the Joel Osteen message in the morning because he talks about. <laughs> don't laugh. <laughs> he talks about. Enjoy, he, he, again, he, he takes the religion. He, he talks. He takes the religiosity out of out of you know God's message. Yes. You know, yes. and a lot of his stuff is you know doing for other people. You know, yes. and, and a, a lot of self talk stuff. So. Um, podcasts have kind of fell back, and I, I listen to a lot of a lot more stuff on Audible, like Robin Sharma's, um, Robin Sharma's books. And, um, I, I just enjoy that. But I, I've actually, I've enjoyed connecting to music again. Just jumping in the van, driving away, and just just having some music going through going through the speakers is, I think it's quite quite good. I've, I've really managed to reconnect to that. How about books? What books are you reading now? Um, Books I have got. I've always got the Wayne Dyer, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life book, because I like just reaching for that. Because again, he's broken everything down. He keeps it simple. But I like to. I like fiction books. Again, I've reconnected with fiction. I think if you constantly reading recovery books, there's only so much that the knowledge is going to take you. But I think again, just with in terms of recovery book, it's diluting. The, it's, it's dilutes the program that I work. Yeah, I, I like you know, to stick to. I like to stick to my big book, twelve and twelves, and the the Wayne Dyer book you were mentioning, "Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life," is actually a study of the Tao Te Ching that he broke down yeah. all eighty one verses and took a year and wrote this book about the Tao Te Ching. So I would suggest looking at that if if, if you like Wayne Dyer. Actually, you can go to buddyc.org, click on the the book store link and we've got links for all the books that we talk about there on the website for you to make it easy to find any any closing thoughts Craig no do you know it's, it's it's been a fantastic six and a half years and I really wouldn't have done it without and I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass I, I really wouldn't have been able to do it without your guidance um, uh, but if someone would have come along I just yeah. happened to person you know yeah yeah that's what happens see if we this is the way i see it if if we're not doing our part mm-hmm. it's not that the person's not going to get what they need if you're seeking you're going to find it's you drawing the person to you it's not me shining light and you you know 
you know, it's not it's not me drawing you. It's the person in need drawing what they need. So if you wouldn't have drawn that from me, you would have drawn it from someone else. So uh, I think that's yeah. how the universe yeah. works. I, I think we set an intention and then we draw those things to us. Uh, and you just, if I wouldn't have been there, it would have been someone else. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's how I, I keep my, my ego in check really is by yeah. knowing that. that it's not me, it's the gifts, you know, and, and those same gifts would come from someone else. Well, let's, let's talk about, yeah. Let's let's talk about everybody else that's been involved with the with, with, with the podcast and the journey as well. You know, just everybody that we've interacted with over the past five six years has been absolutely phenomenal. Everybody that's made a contribution to the conversations that we that we were having on a weekly basis. You know, be it, you can't have a conversation by yourself. Um, <laughs> just you know, you can't have a conversation by yourself. Oh, <laughs> And and that's the great thing. If you look at the steps, they're all plural. We admit it. You know, we came to believe. Yep. You know, they're all plural for a reason. It's because this truly is like you talked about at first. It truly is community. It truly is because I am helped when I help mm-hmm. you. None of no one is an island. I cannot do this. I'd love to do it without you. I'd love to not need anyone. But that's not the case. And I know that. Thank you, Craig. I appreciate you, and I appreciate you sharing your story today. Thank you. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use, and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.